Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Mike McGowan. Hey, welcome to the uh, final installment of this short three-week message series called Yes, Jesus Did Say That, where we're looking at the things that Jesus said that seem out of character for him, but yet they have incredibly powerful impact in our lives, and today is no different. Um, You know, when I was first learning how to share my faith, one of the things that I was taught to do to find out what people are trusting in in order to get to heaven was to ask them this question. And that is, if you were to stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you tell him? And I'm telling you, I would like get the craziest answers from that. And, and people say all kinds of things, but, but the most common answer I got was some version of, well, I, I mean, I'd tell God that I've done my best to be a good person, that I've tried to help my fellow man that I would even put a little something in the offering plate at church. I mean, I didn't go to church as much as I should, but I'd, you know, I'd tell him I tried, and I would tell him that I also believe in Jesus. You know, and they kind of throw that last one in there, just you know, kind of make sure they all their bases covered. And I remember, like, I'd just be smiling, and I'd be thinking, but I'd think in my head, everything you just said has nothing to do with you getting into heaven including the part about believing in Jesus, because the Bible says in James 2.19 that even the devil believes in Jesus, but he's not getting to heaven because he doesn't follow Jesus. And so just believing that Jesus exists doesn't get you to heaven. And, and so, you know, but it's through these conversations with these people that I, I've come to the conclusion that really people have two really big issues when it comes to a relationship with God. The first is this, is that, we tend to think that we have to do something to earn our way to heaven. I mean, if you did like a, like a man on the street sort of interview out in the world, and you ask people, hey, what does it take to get, get to heaven? 95% or more people would say, well, I have to be a good person. Or it would be something that they have to do in order to get to heaven. And as if they believe that God has some kind of a cosmic scale up in heaven with your name on it, and every time you do a good deed, he drops a little bean over here, and every time you do a bad deed, he drops a little bean over here, and you, as long as your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, that you go to heaven when you die. There is nothing about that that is true. Nothing. But I'm telling you, that is what people believe. The, the second big issue that I think people have, and I find this to be true for Christians uh, more than anything else is that we believe that we have to do things right to get God to love us. That somehow if I don't, you know, read my Bible or if I don't pray or if I don't go to church enough or if I don't toe the line and I don't behave right or if I've got some bad habits or I've got some vices, if any of those are true, then somehow God doesn't love me as much as he loves good people, or people who are better than me, that, that somehow I have to do some things in order to get God to love me, and, and, and that's just how, that's how people function, that if, and if I don't, God doesn't love me, or he's disappointed in me, or he keeps me at arm's length, and I'll never be close to God because he doesn't love me as much as he loves like good people. 
And, and here is the, here's why that sort of thinking is so damaging. Because it means that somewhere in us, we believe in performance-based love. That if I perform, then I'm loved. And if I don't perform, then I'm not loved. And I'm telling you, that gets things just all twisted up in a relationship with God. And even more than that, it finds its way into our human relationships as well. That even in marriage, that if I'm not a good spouse, then my husband or wife won't love me as much. Or in a relationship with parents, that if I'm not a good kid, if I don't do things right, then my parents won't love me as much. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes that is true. Now, it shouldn't be true because spouses and parents should love unconditionally. But sometimes it is true because those people have somewhere in their past bought into a performance-based love, and so that's how they treat us, and so that sort of kind of gets passed down to us, and so that's how, what we receive and how we've got to, we end up relating back to them. But it doesn't make it right. But I'm just saying, sometimes it is true. And so when Jesus says what he says today, I'm telling you, he blows that whole performance-based thinking out of the water. I mean, he, he just turns that whole way of thinking completely upside down and on its head. And if we understand why he says what he says, then it can help us break that performance-based thinking from our own mindset, and, can, and it, can, it can set us free in our relationship with God and in our relationship with other people, and even relationships with our kids. So what is it that Jesus says, what, what does he say that, first off, seems out of character for him, but yet at the same time has this kind of power to break that performance-based type of thinking. Well, let me give you the context um, before we actually get into the story. So what happens is, is a, a guy comes up to Jesus, and this guy, as he enters this conversation with Jesus, and as the conversation unfolds, we realize that this guy has some deep-seated need. And, and and he has some deep struggles in his own personal spiritual life. And he's got some questions that have gone unanswered. And so he decides he's going to take his questions to Jesus. And it's as Jesus responds to him that he, what Jesus says blows away this whole performance-based thinking. And what he says is, honestly, it's completely unexpected. So go ahead and pull out your message notes. Let's look at it. Let's look at what Jesus says. If you want to follow along in your Bible, you can. If you want to follow along on your phone, you can. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 19 today. Um, so here's what happens, beginning in verse 16. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what's good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones, the man inquired. Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. 
when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Okay, now wait just a minute here because I don't know about you, but did Jesus just tell this guy that if he sold all his stuff that he could go to heaven? I mean, I don't know about you, but I've been taught all my life that the only way to get to heaven is if I accept Jesus into my life, receive his forgiveness, and then commit to follow him as best I can. That that's the only way to get to heaven. But it seems like Jesus gives this guy a loophole where he could buy his way into heaven. What? I mean, really? Okay, well, just like everything else in this series... If we understand, take the time to understand why Jesus says what he says, then what he says becomes clearer. So when we understand the why behind the what, then the what makes more sense. And this passage is no different. So why does Jesus say what he says to this young man? Here's the first reason. This is what I want you to write down. This is your first fill in the day, okay? The re first reason why Jesus says what he says is that, number one, I cannot hide my deepest struggles from God. I cannot hide my deepest struggles from God. Look, this has always been one of my very favorite encounters that Jesus has with, with a person because the reason I love it so much is that, I mean, Jesus gets straight to the heart of the matter without beating around the bush. This guy knew he wasn't right with God. I mean, he knew he was missing something. He just didn't know what he was missing. But get this. Everybody thought the guy had it all together. Everybody thought that this guy had no struggles with God. He had probably done more good deeds than anybody else. Nobody thought he struggled at all spiritually. But Jesus did. And Jesus knew exactly what he was struggling with. Before this guy told him, Jesus already knew. He already knew that this guy loved his money more than he loved God. And so after their conversation unfolds a little bit, Jesus decides to just put his thumb on the big issue. And he says, you know what? Go, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then come, follow me. And, and the truth is, in one of the saddest verses, the one of the most heartbreaking verses in all the Bible, it says, he went away sad because he had Great wealth. Heartbreaking. See, here's the thing. You and I, we, we can't hide our deepest struggles from God. He sees directly into your heart. He, he knows. God knows what it is that competes for your allegiance. He knows what competes for your heart in a relationship with him. Look, and I, I don't know what your inner struggle is. You know, for this guy, it was his money. And maybe for you, it's your money. Maybe it's your possessions. And so if it's your possessions, that means that you, know, you work hard and you don't spend and you don't give and you acquire and you accumulate and you stack it all up and the branding and the label, that's what means so much to you because it is your possessions and it's your money that competes for your allegiance. And that's what's most important to you. No, or, or maybe for you, maybe, maybe it's a need to be loved. 
Maybe for you it's this insatiable need to be loved because, I don't know, maybe you didn't grow up loved as a child. Maybe it's because you were abandoned or maybe it was because you were abused. But whatever it is, maybe you're insecure. And so what you think about most is what other people think of you. And so you so desperately want someone to notice you, to love you, to care about you. And so for some of you what that means is that you're willing to compromise God's standards for your life because the thought of that person that you love leaving you or abandoning you is so frightening that you would compromise God's standards and sleep with that person before you marry. Or maybe you're so insecure about your appearance and what other people think about you that you, know, you work out all the time and you watch what you eat and you're a slave to the scale because you want so desperately for other people to love and accept you. So maybe this, maybe this need to be loved is what competes for your attention of your heart. Or maybe it's a need to achieve. And so you spend all your time, you know, trying to drive, 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 because maybe somewhere in your past somebody told you that you'll never amount to much. And so you've spent your entire life trying to prove them wrong. And so you drive and you achieve and you look, go for the brass ring and you try to meet the next goal and you do whatever it takes to you know, move up the ladder. And you work late and you work hard and you go to bed thinking about all the stuff that you didn't finish. You wake up that day thinking about all the stuff that you've got to get done and it's just drive, 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 drive all the time. Because it's uh, that need to achieve, that's what competes for the allegiance of your heart. Or maybe for you it's your kids. Maybe it's your kids that compete for what's number one in your heart. Look, and I'm not saying it's wrong to sacrifice for your kids. That's not what I'm saying at all. But when it comes right down to it, and you're making choices of what your kids are going to be involved in, and so it's what they're going to be involved in, or what they're going to be exposed to, or what opportunities they're going to get, versus what they're going to get to do that would benefit their spiritual life. When you consistently choose other things then Jesus would say that your kids have become number one in your life and not him. Okay. Is there anybody left that I haven't offended this morning? I mean, if I, like, if I, if I had done it to everybody, okay, yeah. Uh, and look, and my, and look, my purpose isn't to offend anybody. And any more than it was Jesus' purpose to offend this young man. He wasn't trying to offend. He was just simply showing this person what competed for the attention of his heart. And when it came right down to it, this guy chose something else. Please, don't do that. Don't choose the something else. So if you've got to to back up and make different choices, then back up and make some different choices. Look, if you've got to unwind some commitments to put God number one, then unwind some commitments. If you've got to take your need to be loved to God before you take that need to be loved to anybody else or to any someone else, then take it to God first. Because look, if you've got to compromise God's standards in your life to get someone else to love you, then they don't really love you. They don't love you for you. They love you for what you can do for them. And if that means that that later on, if you need to you know, sell some things or get rid of some possessions or do something so that your heart can be freed from these material things so that you can love God with all your heart, then do what it takes to free yourself from some of these material things so you can love God with all your heart. Because look, here's my point. God can see 
so clearly whatever your internal struggle is for who and what is number one in your life. He sees it clearly. So you know what? Don't try to hide it from him. Don't try to hide it from God because you can't. This guy was trying to hide it, and this guy faked out everybody else, but he didn't fake out Jesus. And you can't either. So you know what? Stop trying. Just say, okay, God, here's what I struggle with, and I bring it to you, and I ask you to fix this. Help me with this. Fill in this gap that I've been trying to fill with this. I bring my deepest struggles to you. Would you do that? Okay. Here's the second reason why Jesus says what he says. Second reason why he says what he says to this guy is this. Is I cannot earn my way to heaven. No matter what I do, I cannot earn my way to heaven. I want you to look how this conversation starts out. Um, in verse 16, I've reprinted it here for you in your notes. Here's, here's what it says. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do? I want you to circle those two words, I do. Because he thought he had to do something. What must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. And I want you to underline this. There is only one who is good. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. See, this guy thought that there was something he could do to, eternal, to gain eternal life. He thought he could earn his way to heaven by being good. And the truth is, he'd been working at it his whole life. Like, he'd been trying to keep all the commandments his own life so he could earn his way to heaven. But I want you to look at Jesus' response. Jesus says, there's only one who is good. Only one. And that one was God himself. He, he basically was telling this guy that no matter what he did, he wasn't good enough to get to heaven all on his own. In fact, nobody is. Because look, here's the deal. God is a perfect God, and he lives in heaven, a perfect place. And so that means that only perfect people can go there, okay? Not good people. Not better than most people. Perfect people. Only perfect people can go there on their own merit, which is not good news for us. Because the truth is, all of us have sinned. And so if we've ever sinned, then we're disqualified from going to heaven on our own. One white lie, one bad thought, one curse word, any one thing that we've ever done wrong, and then we are disqualified from going to heaven on our own merit. That's why God sent Jesus. That's where Jesus comes in. God sent Jesus to this earth and Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus never sinned. So he didn't need anybody to save him from his own sins. And so therefore, Jesus is uniquely qualified to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins, for your sins, for my sins, which is why Jesus died on a cross. He died on a cross so that his death could pay the price for your sins and for mine. And the only way, let me repeat this, the only way to get to heaven is to ask Jesus Christ to come into our lives to forgive us, and then commit to follow him. Because look, here's the deal. You can't earn your way to heaven. And I'll even say this. You can't add anything to what Jesus has done to earn your way to heaven. So it's not like what Jesus did plus a little bit of good behavior from me. Because if that were true, that would mean that the sacrifice of Jesus somehow isn't quite good enough 
to forgive all my sin. That somehow Jesus needs a little help from me. He needs a little bit of my good works to add to what he's done in order for me to be forgiven, in order for me to get to heaven. That is just simply not true. It is Christ alone. I can't add anything to the mix. It's Jesus alone and what he's done that brings forgiveness to my life. And so look, here's the deal. If you need to unwind some of your thing, if you've been trusting in your good deeds or maybe your good deeds plus Jesus to get you to heaven, then I want to give you a chance today to trust in Jesus alone. So if in your worship notes, there's a prayer that you can pray asking Jesus alone to come into your life to forgive you and commit to follow him. And look, and you follow him not in order to gain his love, but it's because you already have his love. And so if you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life to forgive you, I want you to pray that prayer right now because it's not anything you've done or anything you've done plus Jesus. It's Jesus alone because you can't earn his forgiveness. So if that's you, take a second. I want you to pray that prayer right now. Okay? All right, for everybody else, let's look at the third reason why Jesus says what he says. Here's, what he, here's the third reason why he says what he says to this guy. Is because how much I have has nothing to do with how much God loves me. How much I have has nothing to do with how much God loves me. See, in this day and age, when, when this happens, the people of Jesus' day believed that if you had material wealth, it's because God loved you more. And because God loves you more, that's why he's blessed you with material wealth. And if you didn't have material wealth, it's because God didn't love you very much. You know, ironically, 2,000 years later, people still think the same thing. That if God loved me, he would give me material wealth. And because God, maybe because I have material wealth, that means that God loves me more. Or if I don't have material wealth, if God loved me more, he would give me more. I mean, it gets all tied up in their form. It's that whole performance-based type of thinking. But the reason, one of the reasons Jesus tells this guy to sell everything and follow him is to help this guy understand that how much he has has nothing to do with how much God loves. How little he has has nothing to do with how much God loves. The same is true for you and me. How much you and I have or don't have, literally, it has nothing to do with how much God loves us. Because look, if it did, if how much I had has, means that God loves me more, then let me ask this question. Why wasn't Jesus the wealthiest person that's ever walked the face of the earth? Right? Have you ever thought about that? If wealth is a sign of God's love, then why wasn't Jesus obscenely rich? But Jesus, look, Jesus didn't have any money. He didn't own a home. He didn't even own a means for transportation. In fact, the only time in the Bible where we see where Jesus didn't walk was when he borrowed a donkey from somebody else. So Jesus didn't have any material wealth at all. But if, if he's got something God loves him the most, then why wasn't he insanely rich? I'll tell you why. It's because how much I have has nothing to do with how much God loves. How much I have has nothing to do with how much God loves. Now look, well, I mean, let's be honest. Money does make parts of life easier. It does. But here's the one thing it doesn't do. It doesn't show me how much God loves me. 
Not one little bit. And that's a key message that you and I need to get, to get, get, get out of this today. And here's, here's a tangent truth. How much I do has nothing to do with how much God loves me either. Look, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like, this, is where, this is where I struggle, personally. Because I, I, don't, like, I don't know, somewhere like way back in my past, it just, this just kind of got deposited into my thinking that if I don't pray and if I don't read my Bible that day and if I, or if I do the wrong thing and I don't do the right thing, that somehow, like that day, God keeps me at arm's length and that, that that day, that no matter what I do, it's not going to be blessed by God and that that day is almost a, like a wasted day because there's no way that God's going to work in my life. He's not going to do anything for me. And so because I didn't do the things that I was supposed to do. Now look, you don't need to email me. I already know that that's not right, okay? But here's the thing. It feels right. It feels true. But just because it feels true doesn't mean that it is true. I have to choose to believe that God loves me no matter what I do. That how much I do has nothing to do with how much God loves. Now, I mean, does God want me to, you know, read my Bible and pray and do all those things? Yes, he does. But it's not to earn his love. It's because I already have his love. Okay. One big clarifying question as we wrap up today, okay? The, the big clarifying question is this. It's okay, Pastor Mike. Do I have to sell my stuff to become a Christ follower? I'm like, bottom line, do I have to sell all my stuff to become a Christ follower? Look, the answer is no. No. Because one of the things that bothers most people most about this passage is that it seems that Jesus is telling this guy that if he sells everything, he'll go to heaven. That's not actually what Jesus says. In fact, I've reprinted for you in your bulletin what Jesus says. Look what, look what Jesus actually does say, verse 21. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect... Go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Jesus doesn't tell the guy that he'll go to heaven. He tells him that he'll have treasure in heaven. So look, so you don't have to you know, go sell everything as a condition to become a Christ follower. That's not what it says. Now, here's the deal. I'll be honest with you. After you become a Christ follower, there might come a time in your life when Jesus does tell you to go sell some stuff. Maybe he wants you to divest yourself of some of these material things so you can better follow him. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I don't know. But that was the key for this guy. And so that's what Jesus tells him to do. So let, let, me, let me wrap up today with this thought. The, the big overarching purpose of this passage is for us to understand that there should be nothing that we shouldn't be willing to lay down to follow Jesus, to follow God. There should be nothing that I would withhold from him. That I'd be willing to lay down whatever he wants me to do. Not as a condition to earn his love, but as a response to his love because I already have it. Because God cannot love me more then he already loves me right now. God cannot love you more than he already loves you right now.
whether it feels true or not, that's the truth, and we have to accept it. And that's what Jesus wants us to do out of this passage. So, bow your head, close your eyes. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I pray for every single one of us right now that you would help us to break free from this performance-based thinking on whatever level it is that we've bought into this. That whether it's something we're trying to do to earn our way to heaven or we're just trying to earn your love and your favor, I ask that you would help us break free from that and you would communicate to us how much you love us already. And you've always loved us. And it is because of your unfathomable, reckless love that you just love us without limit, that you just love us with abandon, and that you would help us to understand that, believe it, and walk in it. And that would set us free to love you and to love other people. I ask that you would help us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.